Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am here in the Condé Nast podcast studios with Mark Elwood, who's a contributing editor and a podcast producer for us, Meredith Carey, Paul Brady, and Alex Postman from our editorial team. And our subject today is where should you travel this fall? And I feel like fall being a shoulder season, uh, an in-between season, there are sort of two reasons, among many others, that you can travel in fall. One is to preserve the season that's just passed, which in this case is summer. And I'm sure we all want to preserve summer to some degree. And the other is to lean into the season that's coming and all of the delights that it brings, um, in this case particularly fall. So maybe we could talk first about some of those places where you can keep the summer alive, where you can keep some warm weather, maybe experience a place that a lot of people want to travel to in the summer, but it's not so great for one reason or another, crowding, prices, those kinds of things. And in response to some feedback we got from last week, let's stay away from the East Coast at the beginning, <laughs> of, the, at the beginning of the podcast. And we love your response. Can I say thank you so much? And I, for a message from Andrea Whittle, please keep sending her the pie recommendations. We're loving that. Yeah, we spent a lot of time in around the East Coast, but we got the pie meme. Mm -hmm. so, we're, um, so, you know, I'm wondering, maybe we even go international. Like, maybe we go to Africa to start with. What a start. I think the ideas that we had for today uh, were Cape Town and Ethiopia. I know Mark has written online pieces for every month this fall, which you can check out, um, that kind of break down a little bit more of what we're talking about. But Postman, you were in Cape Town for a hot second earlier this year? Yeah, I was there in May for the We Are Africa conference and loved it. Um, it really feels like sort of like the Sydney of Africa just like young and hip and so much happening, a lot of developing neighborhoods. And Luke Dale Roberts, who's the several year hot chef there, is just keeps opening restaurants. And Becca Meisner, our colleague and I had a great meal at Short Market Club just off of Bree Street. Highly recommend it. Um, Do you know, Alex, I think that's a really good analogy. I've always tried to think of what you could draw comparisons with Cape Town and I can see the Sydney because it's sort of hot and a little shallow or sort of <laughs> what what, is, what? because <laughs> Sydney is a place and Sydney is one of my favorite places in the world but it's very much a place that is about you know great food and being outdoors and enjoying the view it's not so much about why don't we go to the theater why don't we improve ourselves it's very easy in that lovely vacation-y way. I agree. There are beaches that are like family-friendly, singles-friendly. There's hiking uh, Table Mountain, and then there's just like these neighborhoods that feel like they're, um, you know, five years ago you wouldn't go there, but they're coming along. There's galleries and restaurants, and everybody's out and about in a way that felt very electrifying. Is there a big city vibe in Cape Town? What's a sort of comparable U.S. city? In I terms of more, size and energy, like not quite as big as San Francisco, but it felt I feel like, like San that's Francisco. Usually, to me. the like American yeah. analogy is it's like a mix of San Francisco and particularly like a with all drop the drop of LA. The uh -huh. outdoorsy stuff felt like San Francisco uh -huh. that way. Yeah, I have to say that I want to go back to Cape Town, the, the contemporary art museum that has just opened, the Zeitzmoker, the yeah. Zeitzmoker with the Thomas Heatherwick designed. I would take a special trip to Cape Town mm -hmm. just to see that because I was already excited, but on Instagram and everything I've seen about that opening blew my mind. It feels like the Tate Modern of Africa. Well, it's the world's largest contemporary African art museum. Um, and I know Pilar was just there uh, and posted, I mean, the building itself is just stunning. It's absolutely stunning. 
It's in a former silo, kind of a big industrial building, which is a great backdrop for the art. Yeah, and it's a big private art collection, biggest in in Africa. And of course, we are in the Southern Hemisphere. They're coming out of winter rather than than summer. But it's that same thing of prolonging the good weather because they're they're just about getting that kind of a little bit warmer. It's their spring. Cape Town can be quite crisp. I mean, it can get quite chilly, but you're getting beautiful weather this time of year. Great. Okay, Cape Town's on the list. What about Ethiopia? Well, I was there earlier this year, and I believe that fall would be a great time to go because you're coming in after the wet season. I was there in the dry season, which was extremely dry. But Ethiopia is really, I think, for travel, an emerging nation. You're not going to have like a true luxury experience there, but you're going to feel like you're discovering these places that are really like rugged, culturally and historically fascinating. There's a route you can take up north that they sort of refer to as the historical route, and you're going to go to the church that is said to contain the Ark of the Covenant. It's not open to tourists, so I would advise skipping it and going straight to Gondar, which is a little bit south of there, Um, and you're going to see 16th century palaces and churches. But really the most memorable time I had there was in the Simeon National Park, which is like the Ethiopian Grand Canyon. You cannot believe how big these mountains are. And it is crawling with baboon-like monkeys. They are not, they're reclassified as something else, (laughs) not baboons, a year ago. Um, But it's very wild and very edgy and just beautiful. You know, as I said, you're not going to find like fancy hotels to stay in, but you're going to, there are beautiful eco lodges that are just very thoughtfully kept. But I remember, I will say, Ethiopia is my number one, I haven't been there yet and I can't wait to go place. But I don't know if anyone else saw this a few years ago. On an early season of The Amazing Race, they had a challenge in the Christian churches carved into the hillsides. And these buildings, were some of the most incredible man-made structures I'd ever seen. And I was dumbfounded that they were in Ethiopia. Did you visit those? Yes, I did. That's Lalibela, um, which is where you'll find these churches carved in one piece out of the rock face. And what's remarkable about being there is that every morning you see these pilgrims who come like barefoot or in flip-flops and in these just, you know, in white you know, cloth robes and who come to worship. And you can just stand there at sunrise and also at sunset and just watch this incredible age-old ritual, which it just feels like... So they're working churches. They're not just... they're 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 totally working churches. They're not museum pieces. No. So you can walk through them and you can... can. Mm -hmm. That alone, when you wrote about that, that made me feel like I need to go mm-hmm. there and see that just we'll because go together, it's so Brad. <laughs> Can I just say? You've said that so many times and yet the invitation never comes. You could invite me. <laughs> Can I just say, you know, for some listeners who are, who are listening to this and are totally fascinated but are also thinking, are you kidding me? You want me to fly to Ethiopia? Like how many people before you went said, what? That's well, crazy. How long is the flight? How far are these places? Well, there are nonstops. I flew from Dulles and it was maybe... 12, 13 hours. I may have that slightly wrong, but it wasn't It wasn't as epic as flying to Johannesburg. Um, if you're flying from Europe, it's eastern, northeastern Africa, so it's really not terribly far. And because there are more nonstops now than there were even a year ago, it's more accessible. And Ethiopia, I think it's easy to assume, because I think it's easy to assume that all Africa-based carriers other than SAA struggle with safety and security. And Ethiopia... National carrier is one of those carriers that's actually internationally certified and is very successful. And 
so you don't have to worry about, oh, will it be okay to fly around? No, you getting around the country, you're actually dealing with a top-tier airline. And again, I think, I think you're right. I think the thing I always say, please check out the Facebook Live that I did with our colleague Aaron uh, and the lovely Jessica Nabongo talk about Africa. You know, the key to Africa from America is go to Europe first. Take a trip to Europe. Break it in Paris. Break it, especially in London, because mm. the flights from London are so plentiful. And then go down instead of trying to go across and exhausting yourself. Have a weekend in Europe and then head down to Africa. You get a two for one and you also can adjust more easily. If you go to Cape Town and you're willing to take a longer trip or can take a longer trip, you can obviously do a lot more around the area. And in South Africa, you can go up and do safari. You can go to the wine country, those kinds of things. If you go to Ethiopia, obviously you want to go to Addis, but are there other trips around there that you want to take or are there other things you want to sort of tack on to that? Well, the south of Ethiopia and the Omo region is a completely different world from the north, which is, as I said, rocky, dusty, full of these old Christian um, churches. The Omo people who live in the south are really sort of what we might think of as a little more tribal, primitive. Um, it's harder to negotiate. I would go with a travel specialist or a fixer. It's a, it's a really deep cultural immersion. Um, if you've seen photographs, it's fascinating. The sort of tribal rituals that you can witness being there just is very compelling. How is the food? I'm dying to get real Ethiopian it's food in Ethiopia. It's all all the time. I will say I was very excited when I got there. but By the time you left. Yes, that was really all I we ate. I just want a sandwich. <laughs> Injera, um, which is the uh, bread made from teff, and you use it to pick up... Um, cooked or stewed vegetables mainly, and then you get a lot of raw or cooked beef tips, they're called. Raw um, beef tips? Yes, yes. I did not eat the raw beef, but um, and that's another staple. So I would say the cuisine is limited. It's nourishing. It's fine. It felt safe and, you know, drink bottled water, but um, that was fairly limited. <laughs> How was the coffee? You know, you get Ethiopian yes, coffee I'm glad here, you but do you, do you get it there? Yeah, well... I- <laughs> No, no, but, no, that's a yes, great but it's question. just called coffee. Right. <laughs> it's like French toast in France. No, but a lot of places, they export the yeah. good stuff. Exactly. Yeah, so and you make a great point. Colombia does that too. So yeah, exactly. So here's the thing. Ethiopia claims that it is the birthplace of coffee. It, it may be. And they still, it's an, it's one of their top exports and it's all grown organically. Meaning they don't actually use chemicals because they, intru- they never introduced. Juan <laughs> <laughs> Valdez never made it to Ethiopia. They never introduced chemicals. But so the traditional coffee ceremonies involve sort of grinding and boiling the grinds and then smelling it and and um, lifting a flame under it and it's beautiful and it's something that actually they do in the airports or in hotel lobbies but in Addis Ababa in particular it's it's great because the Italians occupied mm, um, that's right I remember this uh, Ethiopia piece. in the 30s followed by a succession of other countries I mean it was never it was never colonized the way other African countries were which actually has created a a real sort of proud independent streak, which I think is, you know, characterizes the place. But you can find these old Italian um, coffee bars. Yeah. um, Where the equipment literally looks like it hasn't been changed since the 40s or 50s. And so how do those ceremonies, those are, which is a ceremonial thing unto itself, Mm -hmm. how do the ceremonies come together? Well, if you just order a cup of coffee, it takes a good five minutes because the coffee beans are, are being roasted and then they're being ground and um, so it's still you're, faster you're than to, blue bottle you're saying it's still, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> but it's very much part of the ritual um, and the coffee is strong and delicious okay great maybe we take it back to the Americas and look at Mexico 
um, which has been, it's worth saying, as we're recording this, we're getting reporting in on the earthquake. Not We're not ignoring the news. The news is just very uh, developing at the moment and breaking at the moment. So if you're listening to this on Friday or later, um, that's why we're not really talking about that. But um, Oaxaca is one of the places that we have been focusing on lately. Mayor, what are we telling folks about Oaxaca? Well, today we're recording on Tuesday. Uh, Mexico City was just hit by a 7.2 uh, magnitude earthquake, um, which I know has knocked down a few buildings. But reports were, I guess, two weeks ago that Oaxaca had been hit by an 8.1 magnitude earthquake. And I think the thing to note about that is that while the state of Oaxaca was hit by the earthquake, the city of Oaxaca was left largely unaffected. And I think that, you know, the biggest thing that we said this week, uh, we have a story up, which is that, you know, the best thing that you can do for Oaxaca is to not cancel your plans. I'm going to Mexico in a month from yesterday. Um, me, and too, me too, but we're not going to go. No, we're not. Um, Are you going to Oaxaca? I'm planning on it. Pilar, our editor-in-chief, wrote a story in our issue last month um, about kind of the craft revolution in Oaxaca, and I read it and honestly called my friend who I'm going with, uh, who's the friend who regularly makes appearances on this podcast, um, as my resident travel buddy and was like, we have to go because it just sounds so amazing and I will eat more food than my body can handle. I mean, it is Mole's spiritual home <laughs> and it's Mezcal's spiritual home. Can't wait. As it were. <laughs> Forgive the pun. But, the, you know, the, the my trip to Oaxaca is around Day of the Dead and Oaxaca is really the spiritual home of Day of the Dead as well. It, Day of the Dead, when we think of it as James Bond Inspector, and that crazy celebration. Which, fun fact, there was never actually a Day of the Dead parade in Mexico City until like two years after that movie came out because so many people were traveling to Mexico City and were showing up and were like, where's the parade? Where's the parade? <laughs> so they actually, the city actually last year, I think was the first year that they did a parade that was very, very um, influenced by the movie. I also feel like the art of Oaxaca kind of has infused a lot of the Day of the Dead iconography. right? Like the, the Mesoamerican, that real connection with Mesoamerican culture. What I'm very interested to see, I haven't been to Oaxaca for Day of the Dead, but a friend of mine said to me, you know, be aware that this is actually quite, an in, quite a serious quite a serious moment that there's two components to it that there is the kind of riotous partying and there's that kind of celebration but what you really want to do is stay up late and have that seance-like experience of kind of communing, not not whether you're religious or not, but just that sense of stillness and quiet and contemplation, and that that's the great appeal of Day of the Dead, or that, that period, is that you get both aspects. And I, I agree with Meredith, I think it's very important. We've talked a lot about disaster zones over the years and places that have had challenges, and it's very, very important to remember that tourism-based economies rely on our money, they need us to travel there, not travel there straight away and not expect unreasonable things. But we can all contribute to helping places bounce back with our money very simply. And we, you're not being ghoulish. You're not being rubbernecky. You're helping. Well, I remember the mayor of the capital of Oaxaca talking on the on the day after the earthquake and, and saying really the damage was not terribly extensive. So um, I don't think there's any reason for people to stay home from there at this point in time. But Paul, I'm curious about your thoughts. You wrote earlier this year about Merida, which is a place that I particularly love, um, a little bit further north in the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, 
this strikes me as a great time of year to go visit there only because the tourism is going to be a little bit mellower. Um, you're going to get a lot of stuff to yourself. The weather would still be good, I feel like. It's hot as hell in the interior of the <laughs> Can container. you say hell on the podcast? You, you can say <laughs> hell oh, on the man. podcast. All right. Yeah, no, it's it's I would go now because it's it's not hot as hell. You know, you go in in June, July, August and it's sweltering, it's wet, it's you know, ridden with mosquitoes. Um I would say September, October and into November, you know, it starts to be a lot more comfortable. Uh, Merida is a place I think to sort of refresh your vision of what Mexico can be, right? It's not on a beach. Uh, it's not super popular. All your friends aren't going there and Instagramming it yet. Um, but it is, uh, you know, a great place for food. There's a lot of sort of smoke flavors in the food. There's a lot of sort of pit cooking. Um, there's really rustic food. It's a Mayan enclave um, originally. And a lot of that culture is still there to see. There was an incredible book that I found out about while I was researching my story, uh, 10 years in the making. It's called Yucatan and is a fascinating guide to the region, even if you're not going, um, full of recipes and cultural insights. But yeah, the food there is really wonderful, and then the places to stay. It's um, so often, I think, in the magazine, we talk, and on our website, we talk about you know beautiful hotels and wonderful hotels to stay in. And Merida was really a place with um, rental homes, these sort of wonderfully redone and reimagined um, country homes and estates as well as city sort of townhouses um, every home seems to have a pool every home seems to have a dream kitchen uh, I think I all that I cooked while I was there for for four days was like coffee in the morning <laughs> uh, because there's so much great food out out and about but uh, it was really this sort of vacation destination that felt exotic and magical and like the sort of place I want to move to after You're I, still checking the real estate listings. I, I, everyone, <laughs> so I have to say, I, I, really, I really am still checking them. <laughs> I used Paul's feature to plan my vacation in the summer to Merida. And I will say, yes, in August, it was really hot and the mosquitoes were insane. And I get bitten very easily, so I used a lot of repellent. But it was still worth it. And yes, everyone tried to sell me a house because... The real estate is so cheap and they, they see someone and they say, you should move here. And I can understand the appeal. What I thought was fascinating about Merida's environs were the plantations, the sisal plantations, mm -hmm. that were the reason that area had so much money. When sisal was fundamental to the, the world's rope and bag industry before nylon was around, money poured into that area. And it was a little bit like the, that sense of sort of plantation deep South America. Um, it had those sort of grand homes on giant land. And there was also sort of, there was uncomfortable, there was an uncomfortable sense that people working on those farms weren't necessarily proper employees. They were right. a little indentured. And it had many of those, It was, and it was fascinating to kind of glimpse that part of Mexico, which I didn't know existed. Yeah, it's a really amazing place when you picture, you know, a part of the world that's essentially a backwater with nothing, and then it becomes fabulously wealthy and then all of that crashes because of this technological innovation, which is the invention of nylon uh, after the First World War. And so you went from nothing to everything to nothing again, and then this slow rebuild. And so you go to these country plantations that today you can walk through. A few of them have been turned into museums. And you see these massive sort of machine houses where they would make the rope with all of this sort of equipment from 
Germany or the United States, you know, sort of machining equipment made in Trenton, New Jersey, that's been shipped <laughs> down to make a rope for the for the war effort. And it's it's sort of insane. It's like globalization 1.0, right? Yeah. And it's just 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes outside of this wonderful colonial town that was founded, you know, 500 something years ago uh, and all, you know, two hours away from Miami. So it's, was yeah, a, it's I, quite I, easy I, to get there. We think of the Yucatan Peninsula and we think of Cancun and that whole sort of coastal side, which one of the advantages of Merida is I think that you can you can rent a car or you can take a bus or you can it's very easy to sort of make Merida a, a sort of focal point of a lot of exploration, whether it's to the plantations, which are all around there and you can go visit them. I remember one we went to was like a, a really kind of fun, locally very popular restaurant, you know, that people were going to on the weekends. But then also like the, the, the Mayan ruins, the pyramids are there mm-hmm. and you can visit those very easily. Like my recommendation would be to do what we did and like rent a car. We did this a bunch of years before you went there, but the vibe of the That's city okay. was the same. <laughs> no, You're it was, a pioneer, bro. It we was, know that. No, it was remarkable to me how little, you know, yes, some things have changed, but your piece, the things that you discovered were very much in line with what we saw a few right, years right, before right. that. So it is a place that I'm sure it's going to change. It's in the process of changing, but unlike a lot of, the Yucatan, unlike the Caribbean side of the Yucatan, it's not changing at like lightning speed, which is good. You can still and get there is that a, stuff. there is a flight that is about to start, a direct flight from Atlanta to Merida, which will will help funnel more people there because at the moment there are connections to Miami and to Mexico City, but it's slowly getting easier to get there from America. So. Great time to go. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want to give the impression either that it's sort of this undiscovered hidden place that nobody's ever been to. I mean, clearly there are tourists there, mm-hmm. but it does, it, to your point, Brad, it's it's really retained this sense of, yes, there are tourists, but there are also locals. And you see it in the restaurants. It's a mix of tourists and locals. And you see it, you know, on the streets. And totally unlike a place that's been completely dominated by tourism, it retains a lot of itself. And and it is very easy to road trip around there. I think at this time of year, too, that would be particularly true, where yeah, the, the sure. tourism season is a little bit mellower. Um, and I agree with you that the vibe of that city was, it's a wonderfully relaxed vibe. I would i would recommend it for anybody. Okay, moving a little bit north, Meredith, tell us about Marfa. I have another place that's great and way too hot in the summer and is good for road trips. <laughs> um, so I love Marfa. It is one of my absolute favorite places. It is this really... You are a Texan. You have to confess. I am. I am. And so I'm like biased, but it is like one of the weirdest places I have ever been. Um, to explain the origin of Marfa. Yeah, like... So Marfa like started as an artist colony in the middle of West Texas. Like it's closer to... New Mexico um, than it is to really like anywhere else in Texas. A really great uh, road trip to take is leave out of Austin, go to Fredericksburg, hit up Big Bend, and then shoot north and go to Marfa. And up until about last year, there weren't any like really serious hotels, so you kind of needed to be comfortable roughing it, I guess. El Cosmico is one of like the most bizarre, awesome hotels I've ever stayed in because it's not really a hotel. It's a bunch of um, like safari tents and teepees and RVs that have been uh, <laughs> remodeled into hotel rooms with a lot of air quotes. But again, it's a really interesting, bizarre place. And even though it's really hot in the summer, it gets really, really cool in the win- nighttime. And so um, it's even better in the fall to stay if you're going to stay outside um, because it gets really cool and cools off and so the fact that you're sleeping in a um, safari tent with like one outlet doesn't really uh, hamper your trip but the Hotel St. George just opened and then we actually had 
our Where in the World to Eat package just uh, went live this week. And one of the picks for the US was Capri, which is in Marfa. The important thing you need to know about Marfa restaurants and museums and stores and all of those things are that they may not be open at all while you're there. Uh, and so you just need to That's, explain be that. wary. So Marfa is a one street town. Like it is maybe four blocks on a main road. Um, you can walk around pretty much the whole thing, including every neighborhood, which is basically one. And there aren't that many people that live there. I think they're like less than 2,000. Um, but still, they're spread out between Marfa and Alpine, which is um, like about... 20 minutes down the road. And so there aren't necessarily a ton of people to like staff all of the places that they've opened. Um, so Monday and Tuesday are probably not good days to go. So if you are going to go to Marfa, go for a long weekend and show up on a Thursday because there are some restaurants that aren't open on Sundays. There's some that aren't open on Fridays. You just kind of need to like definitely do your research if you're going May to May I make a suggestion actually in the story, my story that's live about where to go in September, the Transpicos Festival in Marfa is the perfect time to go because everything will be everything open. will be open exactly and who is there when the Transpicos festival is on uh we've got wilco leanne womack and jenny lewis this year but it's what i find interesting about Martha, i feel like that's a lineup from my spotify playlist <laughs> <laughs> did they look into your soul yeah. and they were like brad yeah. come to us yeah. come to us especially the jenny lewis Thank you for thinking of Jenny yeah. Lewis. I know what you mean. Um, I think we're showing our age, though. <laughs> um, the, the, what I find interesting about Martha, Donald Judd as an artist was a very difficult prickly man. and <laughs> he, was the fo- he was the founder of this colony. He was a difficult prickly man, and when he decided to set up an art colony, he put it somewhere that was really difficult to get to so that you had to prove you wanted to be there. And he set up if what is now Marfa, the, the foundation that he set up there, which is the foundation of contemporary Marfa. And it just there's something fascinating that he he you cannot chance on Marfa. You can't stumble on no, it. No, it is like a fully intentional thing. And I think the thing that people most recognize, you know, Marfa as, you know, if you're just walk, talking to someone randomly on the street, is that picture of the Prada Marfa, which is this like faux Prada storefront that only has left shoes that seems to be in the middle of nowhere because it is. It's actually 25 minutes outside of Marfa on the side of the highway and you're just driving around and there's this little fake Prada store that's just sitting there by a whole field, by a ranch. I love that. Like, how do I get there? If I'm going, like, I want to go. How do I get there? You drive. Other than, really? Yeah. Where do I fly into? If I'm coming from the East Coast or the West Coast, where am uh, I flying? I would fly into Austin and make a real road trip out of it. Um, it otherwise, it feels like a thing Austin would have invented. <laughs> like it feels like I think it was. I think we need something even weirder than Austin. <laughs> so, but if you even if you like fly into Dallas and then take another you know Southwest flight, a regional flight, you're gonna fly into Midland, which is exactly what you think it is. It's in the middle of Texas, um, and then you're still gonna have to drive like. Three hours or so to get to Marfa, so you re- like you have to work for what it. That's very go, true. What made what was the incentive for you to go? What was the impetus? So when I was still living in Texas, she needs left shoes. You know, right? <laughs> no, I was just about to move to New York and was like, I have not seen so many places that I'm dying to see in Texas. And a lot of that was in West Texas. Um, There's this really cool spring outside of Marfa. It's like an hour and a half away in Balmore. And it stays 60 degrees. It's like a natural pool. But they put like a real pool around it. So it's like got little fish and stuff, but it looks like a regular 
municipal swimming pool. Um, but it stays 60 degrees all year. So when it's like 104 in the summer, or it's like really nice to jump into. And when it's really cool in the winter, it's also nice to jump into. Um, you would not catch me in a 60 degree swimming pool, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> like, that is, that 20 is, degrees. That is cold. <laughs> I mean, it's, but when it's 105 and you're the only thing you can do is walk around outside, then yeah, it feels damn good. Um, but yeah, I mean, you really, you have to drive and you have to get there. And I went because I specifically planned this road trip with my best friend so that we could go to Marfa and like knock it off of our bucket list. And we stayed for three days and it was perfect. And literally we hit half of everything because half of everything was open. You hit the I'm left curious. side of everything. <laughs> right. I'm curious if any listeners have made that pilgrimage because I do think it is one of those bucket list things that you have to set aside time to do, even if you live in Texas. And I'd be curious if anyone has made that trip and whether it was worth it. Um, I skipped it because I thought it was full of millennials Instagramming. <laughs> I think that here's that the was Meredith, and that's I about drove Meredith and her friends. I drove across Texas last year and skipped. No, it No, I that think reason. that I think that that is the impression. But I there isn't room for that many people there. There's yeah. like three hotels. You know, one of them is the Thunderbird, one of them is the Hotel St. George, and one of them is the Tents. We so are going to do really... a podcast on influencers Instagramming, though. Yeah, right. I, I stopped there, but I was on the way to L.A., so um, it was, it, it was it on was the way. It felt like an amuse-bouche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will plug the road trip from Austin and stopping in Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg is, is so town. great. Yeah. And make sure... Wine, co- wine country, that some right. stores, Wine country in Texas have... is not something you usually think about, but as long as you have a DD, it's like a really solid trip to make. We need to do a podcast on like all of the... Texas stuff that doesn't seem I'm like in. Texas. Like, so Texas like seems just, like one of the most fascinating places. Please, please, what what we should get is we should get listener generated questions to fire at Meredith on an all Texas podcast. On it, yeah. <laughs> Caleb and Laura Kramer. Yeah, yeah like totally, everyone in totally. the office. We got so many Texans. So we please will, fire we all the North Carolinians. At us. Now we have Texans. And oh, yeah. then we'll, we will roster a full Texan podcast where Brad will be outnumbered and you can ask them anything you need to know. My final Marfa pitch is that there is this food truck called Food Shark, um, which just got like a new place to sit that is covered, which is great, because they used to just have this school bus that didn't have air conditioning um, that you could sit in and eat your falafel. But it is really like actually one of my favorite uh, places. Restaurant is a loose term. It is a food truck. Do Um, you work for the Texas Tourist Board? (laughs) No. Is that why you work here? Like they sent you (laughs) She's a spy. I'm a spy. No, I think it's like there's a lot of Texas pride to go around just sitting right here. Yeah. (laughs) Mark, before we depart the sun places, let's say a word about Barcelona. I think it's worth, and similarly to Oaxaca. And and, uh, those of you who joined me for my last Facebook Live, I was talking about where to travel in September, and I talked about Barcelona. Barcelona. (laughs) Well done. I speak Italian, not Spanish, so I always pronounce Spanish words with a weird kind of Italian mangle, so I apologize. Um, Barcelona this month. It has the Festival de la Marseille, right? Patron Saint Festival, very important. And we hemmed and hawed, I'll be very honest, the story went live before the awful terrorist attack in Barcelona. And when we were doing our Facebook Live, the counterpoint to it, we kind of hemmed and hawed and thought, should we cut it from it? Is it weird to talk about it? And I feel very strongly that we have to push back and say, you know, that was really scary and really awful. But you want me to not go to Barcelona. You want me to be afraid of doing these things. And it is nerve-wracking to think, I'll book a trip to Barcelona, but they need us to go. And it's a a way of pushing back. I mean, I feel like La Ramblas, which is where the attack took place in Barcelona, is 
it's not the same, but it's kind of has the profile of like Borough Market in London. Mm -hmm. And when that attack happened, we had a similar response from Lale, who's from London, mm -hmm. and many of of us as well. And I th I feel like I completely agree with you. Like, I know there's all this sort of like La Ramos is so touristy, blah blah blah. But it's also kind of fascinating and amazing. And like, there's Let's great remember, shit. Things on... end up touristy because they're kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and there's always a way to enjoy something that is perceived as a little touristy. You know, Venice in August is a little miserable. Venice in February, my birthday's in February. I've been to Venice my birthday. Send Mark to yeah, send Mark. FYI, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> FYI, listeners, February 5th, I accept gifts. The Kickstarter is going to be up on Friday. Um, no, but, you know, Venice in the winter is flooded and wet and magical and and really romantic. The same way, you know, you can go to the Las Ramblas if you're going outside the European school holidays, the... The fall is a great time to go. It is going to be a little quieter. Get up early. Walk down there at 7 a.m. Well, that's and the thing, right? Nobody says spend your entire trip to Barcelona on that boulevard. <laughs> they say go there in the morning, exactly. take a look at it, see what all is going on, and then exactly. move on to eat those razor claims. Well, in proof of concept, because I was in Barcelona well last done. October, um, and while there were still those signs, you know, Barcelona has a sort of tourism problem. The mayor has declared that they're going to no more hotels can be built. They're going to limit the number of tourists every summer because those big cruise ships come in. But in mid-October, it was probably in the 70s. Um, I mean, it's and really not very crowded. Yeah, it's still great. Mm -hmm. That's like the best time. And it go. also has a beach. I think it's so easy yeah. to forget how many big, significant cities that are real tourist magnets have a beach right there. Like yeah. you can take a bus to the beach and not like a little beach that's kind of full of lots of people on tiny fabric picnic blankets trying to pretend they're at the beach. Like a real beach. I think it was built for the Olympics. Yes. The Barcelona. Yeah, the beach there. Yeah, What's I think it had been sort of an industrial like shipping area. I yeah. just, I, you know, to me, it felt completely natural and amazing. And that vibe, the fact that you can have a city. So, yes, please, Barcelona. And, you know, I know it's scary and know it's intimidating and I know it's easier said than done. But every place is scary. But every and place every place is safe. You know, you just don't know. Yeah, I don't. The, the statistics around this, we've talked about this before. We don't need to go back to it, but it's just minuscule. Um, okay. Now let's look at a couple of places maybe that we could throw out there um, that are places where you're leaning into the season a little bit more. Paul, keeping it off the East Coast because, you know, we want to do that. Chicago. You spent a lot of time there recently. Yeah, I would say that I go to Chicago like every weekend. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. But, but you I, could. You could. You you definitely could. Um, no, I'm a big Chicago booster, apologist, whatever you want to call it. Um, no, I find Chicago to be one of the most wonderful places to visit as a tourist. And, you know, I use that word sort of intentionally. Like, if I'm going to Chicago for the weekend, I'm a tourist. I want to spend money on cabs. I want to spend money on shows. I want to spend money on food. But and you not, can do all those things and amazingly. Do, and you can do all those things amazingly and somehow not spend a ton of money on hotels. I mean, Chicago is like has phenomenal hotels. There's a couple new places. I, I was just at the Ace in Chicago, which is like all of the Ace hotels you know and love, except sort of grown up and like moved to the suburbs. It's this remarkable. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, it's got, okay. First of all, so most Ace hotels, I mean, sorry, Ace, but like you're in an old rundown building that you've redone quite nicely, but you can't make the bathrooms in an old building huge. 
But when you build the building, you can make the bathrooms enormous, and you have these wonderful showers and spacious bathrooms and then spacious bedrooms. What uh, part it, of town is it in? It's in the West Loop. So you're like a half block away from Royster, which is the Grand Achats restaurant, um, the Office, which is the fabulous cocktail bar, uh, Alinea, which has the great cocktail bar that's there, uh, and then countless other restaurants. I mean, I spent you know weekend sort of staying at the Ace of Chicago, and I think I probably got five blocks away from it the whole weekend. Um, but then there are other uh, hotels opening. They're fabulous sort of Grand Dame hotels there or old school hotels. Uh, and there's just always something happening. You know, there's there's always a festival. There's always a friend of yours that happens to be in town. It's just a wonderful place to have a good time. And, you know, sorry, Las Vegas, but you're a five-hour flight away. Chicago's two-and-a-half-hour-ish flight away. And there's public transportation from the airport. So I just love And I will say there. that if you look on the site, you'll see our suggestions of places to go in October. Chicago is one of them because the Museum of Contemporary Art in Streeterville is hitting the big 5-0 this year and is celebrating. I have to say, I used to live in Chicago. It was the only other place I've ever lived in America. And the best, the most magical time in Chicago is sort of September, October time when it's still a little warm, not as blisteringly hot and humid as it can be in the summer. But in the fall, Chicago is this magic. And it is, as Paul said, I don't know anywhere that pays off for a tourist with such a good kind of money shot as Chicago. Like it is, the architecture is right there downtown. This is walkable and easy and navigable. And you, there are some interesting new neighborhoods. It is really for a three day trip. I can't think of anywhere that you're more kind of guaranteed to right, get your, right, your right. money. And worth. by the way, like let's not forget, everybody there is like supremely nice yeah. and Midwestern <laughs> and helpful and friendly. I mean, it's. Coming from New York, it, you're sort of like, wow, I could live like this. Also, it's, it's, just a plug for parents. I was there a couple of weeks ago with my kids and went to the new-ish Maggie Daly Park, which I hadn't been right. to. It's fantastic. It's right on the water. There are gigantic playgrounds. There's this, um, what do they call the it? Ribbon. The ribbon. Which the ribbon. in the winter is ice an ice skating rink. I mean, ribbon that goes around like a racetrack. And then in the summer, it's rollerblading. There's so much to do. So you, you know, you get they get impatient and cranky at the art institute, and then you just like you know kick them outside, and they run around in the park. The field museum is just like the best museum, and not to mention the um, Museum of Science and Industry Industry. for kids. It's like you could spend like literally an entire weekend there. The museum action is amazing. I I will say that when I lived there, which was a long time ago, I was at grad school on the south side and the West Loop was not anything. It was just an industrial kind of... And now when I go back, and I go back quite regularly, and I see that part of Chicago and how that has exploded, although the one thing I would remind everyone is, as I made the mistake, the blocks in the West Loop are quite large, and even for someone who walks everywhere, I didn't realize how long it was going to take me to walk to dinner. So remember, <laughs> you might need to take a cab around the West Loop occasionally, or you'll right. be 45 minutes late. But you like can't. I, I mean, that's the thing, too, is Chicago feels to me like one of these places that manages to B, it is a really big city, but it manages to have all the big city amenities without feeling like a big city in a lot of ways. But I do think, Mark, the thing is, like, not only should you take a cab, but you can take a cab, which isn't true in all cities of that size. You can take an Uber, like all of those Oh, yeah, very much. Or you can take take the L. I mean, the public transport system in Chicago is superb. And... Not that everyone there would agree with that, but but it, for a visitor it is. Yeah. I think again, yes. When I lived there, it was frustrating. But as a visitor, That's what we do. 
It we is. complain about our public <laughs> They also have public parking figured out, like entire football field underground. Right. Great. Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. I'm not a big driver. Way better than New York. Like, <laughs> Way better than New York, yeah. <laughs> it's easy there. Yeah. It's so hard here. Okay, Mark, I don't want to come back to New York quite yet, but Dublin. You mentioned it in your in your Facebook Live. Yeah, we're going to... Why I'm, is this a good time to go to Dublin? I'm going to Dublin next week, actually. Um, and the reason I would suggest going to Dublin right now, again, you've got... The weather is, is nice. It's serviceable post-summer. But Dublin is very exciting because it's reclaiming its whiskey heritage. Irish whiskey is 6% of the world's whiskey market. 6%, which is tiny. Yeah. There were 10 years ago, I think there were five or six distilleries, maybe, maybe five. So an incredible contraction. In the last three years, there has been a craft whiskey making boom in Dublin, specifically in the Liberties, which is sort of the Williamsburg, if it were New York, or the West Loop, if it were Chicago, which historically was where all the distilleries were. But when there were lots of problems with civil war and whatever, and, and Ireland contracted, those distilleries closed down, they're reopening. New people are bringing them back to the liberties. So there's this real energy to Dublin. And I also think Dublin is very exciting right now because the first time I went to Dublin, about 12 years ago, the money that had flooded in the Celtic Tiger had erased much of the Dublinness. It was very much a rich new city. The most interesting thing was the sort of Eastern European overlay of kind of immigrants and amazing kind of Polish grocery stores. Other than that, it didn't feel very Irish. The economy imploded and it has now rebooted and is sort of properly Irish again, rather than just rich Euro-toting people coming in to buy apartments. So I would send people to Dublin because you can go and drink and take tours of these lovely new whiskey distilleries. Super, super exciting. I cannot wait. And how's the weather this time of year? This, this is this will be fine. This is a great time of year to go, right? Would you, if you like fall weather. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, I was there a couple years ago, yeah, in, in September or October. And, yeah, it, it does the trick. It's, like, not super sunny. But sweater it's like weather. Not, yeah. No, and you can exactly buy a lot of great is. sweaters. And they have amazing sweaters. <laughs> exactly. <right? Yeah. laughs> but, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't do well in the summer. I kind of wilt yeah. in the heat. Yeah. So I pray Poor Mark. For, You don't stray me as a wilting flower. <laughs> <laughs> the heat makes me Oh, wilt. I see. I see. And I, I pray for those sort of crisp fall days, yeah. and you can have those kind of crisp fall moments in Dublin beautifully. Okay, so let's finish it on a crisp fall moment and New York. We saved it till last. Isn't that on the East Coast? That's on the East Coast. <laughs> it's very close to Long Island. It's not terribly <laughs> far from Nantucket. Uh, let's say a word for the hometown. I feel like New York in the fall is all about not being in New York. And I, I don't mean that by like going far away. I mean what? that. No, I mean that by like going to Storm King, going to Beacon, going to Hudson. Oh my God, seeing, Storm King in the fall is amazing. Seeing the like actual trees because, you know, growing up in Texas, we only have two seasons. Um, and one day all of the leaves just fall off fully green. Um, but like getting to see fall foliage like really was an awesome moment for me my first fall in New York. And like part of that was going to Storm King in the fall. And Storm so King. So let's is, explain Storm King. It's like a huge, giant sculpture garden, but it's like giant sculptures, but also a giant garden. And it's in upstate and New a York. And forest and. Yeah, and you can just rent bikes and kind of bop around. And it's kind of in a valley area. So when you're looking at the art, you also have this huge backdrop of just stunning colors. And it's just very breathtaking. Yeah, Storm King is one of my favorite 
things on earth. It's like an amazing art park. And you can see work from Richard Serra. You can see work from my, the waves from Myelin are one of the things that I think are sort of mind-blowing when you see. I was there years ago when they were starting to be built, and then I went after they got built. They're amazing. But that hike through the woods that you can do on the sort of the northern part where you keep stumbling across works of art as you're moving through the woods um, is amazing. It's a great place to take kids. I've taken my son there, you know, a couple of times. It's terrific for that. Um, they love stumbling upon these little things. They love the art. The art isn't necessarily all interactive, but some of it is. And so that's a really great thing for them to do. But in the autumn with the colors and the sort of leaves coming down, it's an absolutely spectacular I also think place. it's important. One of the things I didn't know till I moved to New York was that New York fall kind of ends in December, that the bad weather hits when you're most miserable after Christmas and it's January and you just need a pickup. <laughs> That's when the blizzards begin and it gets really cold. But the fall like, is like the longest long season yeah. in New York. And I feel like November and December are like the best time to ever run into a New Yorker because like no one's mad about the weather. Everyone's like really happy to be outside. No one's too hot. Like everyone can open their windows. It's also a great and, like, time to get air. tickets to Broadway shows. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's just not as touristed, really. I mean, you're you're because missing like the big, you know, spring break and the summer. You know, I think the fall is probably. I don't have data on that, but it's a hunch. <laughs> no, I, but I can. No, I can imagine. I just think it's easy to forget. Before I moved to New York, I assumed that winter started with Thanksgiving, and in fact, that's November, December. You've got a long fall, so you've got that lovely to stroll around upstate or to stroll around the city. There's a there's a longer window. Paul, Finger Lakes. Good time of year? Yeah, I would go there in the next couple of weeks, though. <laughs> I, I would get there before November if I were going to the Finger Lakes. But, um, I mean, you can have, if you're if you're the hardy sort, you can have a good time in the Finger Lakes in December. But I don't know that I'd recommend it to everyone. Um, you know where I'm really interested in going is, uh, is a place called the DeBruce. It's a uh, little inn in sort of... It, it's a little, I guess, southwest of the Catskills, but sort of two and a half hours northwest of, of New York City, and it's part of this small network of um, sort of refurbished and redone guest houses that are up there, uh, and they have a, a wonderful chef that's trying to do some interesting things, and I, and I haven't been, but uh, but I'm very intrigued in, about going up there and like sort of Meredith was talking about, like getting out of the city to see fall foliage, but not so far out of the city that you can't come back and... Have catch a, proper, a Broadway, yeah, catch uh, a Broadway show. That maybe that's not my thing. But, <laughs> oh come but, on! But you know, Hopefully. no, but come back and have a little New York City experience as well. Like a long weekend in New York in early October, combining city and country, is a great idea. I think. Yeah. May I give you a Broadway show nabbing uh, tip? I learned this from a friend of mine, Lisa. This is all you. Is this and in I've, Bargain Fever? This isn't in Bargain Fever. My book available where all good at all good <laughs> bookstores. Bargain Fever: How to Shop in a Discounted World. Amazing. If you come to New York and you want to see one of the sold-out shows, even if it's a, a more of an off-season, pick the three or four sold-out shows that you'd love to see and sit in Midtown around the Theatre District in a coffee shop or a bar and open StubHub, and sit there till about an hour before the performance when all the scalpers tickets which have been bought as an investment and were priced at three thousand dollars start tumbling and you will watch tickets go below their face value. even for hamilton 
uh, I got tickets for Come From Away, which were $300 tickets, middle of the orchestra, second row for $125. Wow. At 7.15, because wow. I was five minutes walk from the theater. When you sit on the StubHub app, grab whatever whatever show of the three or four that you wanted has had the most plummet, walk to StubHub's uh, center on 38th and Broadway, you'll be one of several people in there who've done exactly <laughs> the same thing and stroll to the theater. So if you are planning a trip and you want to see one of the big shows, Dear Evan Hansen, Hamilton, Come From Away, yes, I can't guarantee that you'll see exactly one of them, but you'll get tickets to one of your selection affordably if you use that trick. That's brilliant. Hmm. And it works because I've road tested it. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> and with that, we leave you uh, with our recommendations for fall. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com where you will find elaborations on many of these same topics. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. We are a CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And please do tweet at us. As you've heard here today, we read them. We respond. Um, we do engage, as the people say. Send us feedback. Review us on iTunes. Mark, where can people get in touch with you? You can tweet me, as people do, which I love, on Twitter at Mark J. Elwood. Mark with a K, Elwood with two L's. And I love this part. Meredith? I am at Oh Hey There Mayor. Best ever. <laughs> Although I say that for Andrea, too. Exactly. I think okay. you and Andrea have, have the best. You and Andrea. I'll take it. I'll yeah, take it. People come up to me now in the office and just say, oh, hey there, Mayor. And it's I'm not mad about it. <laughs> Paul. Uh, I'm on Twitter at P underscore Brady, B-R-A-D-Y. And follow Paul for all the New York City ferry updates that you need. <laughs> Boo, New York City ferry. <laughs> Alex. Well, I'm on Instagram and inactively on Twitter as at WordMover because that's what I do for my job. <laughs> I move words I around the page. You have a good handle too. <laughs> See, that's a grown-up <laughs> pun. I feel like that's a very... Yeah. And I'm at Brad Rick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.